Cheerio! As human beings, don't we enjoy enjoyment? This is Five Golden Things, The Liberty Lists, a podcast of whimsy from Liberty Church Collingswood and libertycollingswood.org. We'll hear from friends as we explore everything from potent potables to morsel delectables, awkward laughables to moment teachables. You'll get lots of different categories, but remember that for each one, there can be only five. Plus a mulligan or two. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. Here we go. Scott was looking at me saying, what's the signal for when we get started? And I'm like, we're just starting. So hello, turtle doves. Welcome to... Five Golden Things Liberty Lists. We are here with my friend Scott. How are you? Doing pretty good. I, I was expecting one of those, like in the in the movies where they do like the five, four, three, two, and then like a point or something like that. But uh, nothing. we just went. Nothing. <laughs> just, nothing. Just go. Nothing. Yep. Green light. Okay. I, I'm I'm down. Just go. So Turtle does. If you recognize Scott's voice, he has been a frequent partner in crime on the Post Sunday Blues Preaching Post Mortem podcast, and I think this is your first crossover this is i i've now crossed the tiber and uh here i am ready to take rome uh the die is cast so to speak it was the rubicon the rubicon oh, oh i know that's I know. okay no but I'm, I'm a modern historian so uh <laughs> but the tiber is the main river in rome so, yes yes uh, a, a river runs through it scott mm-hmm. do you do you have any topless posters of brad pitt in your house I do not. Okay. Uh, you know, does, I thought does, about it. Does Becca? No, you know, she does not. Um, I kind of, given the fact that I have a little bit of a dad bod, I uh, have banned anything that <laughs> makes me look worse uh, from our household. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first. Send those posters Scott's way, everybody. And what we're going to be talking about here today, we always do a top five of different kinds. Some some are more frivolous, some are more serious. Hopefully there's always a note of whimsy in whatever we do, including for this. And Scott, you can correct me on the wording of this title. Top five dead Christians that every Christian should read. Is that about it? Yeah, top five dead Christians, top uh, five dead theologians, however you want to, Okay. you know. I feel like, uh, you know, that that's a thin line because every Christian should be a theologian because we should be learning about God and there trying to go. understand yes, God. Yes, yes. So maybe we're playing with semantics here a little bit. But but they are dead. They are dead. Good. Yes, they are dead as a doornail, I'm, uh, you know, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm reassured. <laughs> yes. So Scott is a, is a big reader of church history and theology. So this is one of the ones where we're going in a little more of a scholarly direction, but mm-hmm. some of you out there like it this way. So... Uh, Scott, in general, how did you get started just enjoying, so so a personal narrative question before we jump into the top five. Mm -hmm. How did you get started reading dead theologians and and dead Christians? Was was it your necromancy thing that just... Yeah, so it was the necromancy, it was just a natural progression uh, from there. (laughs) No, so uh, what what happened was, uh, this was our our church uh, that we were at in Korea. Yeah. and uh, for those who, who sort of know my story, I was sort of, uh, you know, I, I was doing my uh, my prodigal son a time and, and Korea was where I, I ran back home. And uh, one day, all of the men at the church and it was a very small church. So when I said all the men, all the men uh, <laughs> were at a bar and, um, you know, we had a, a church that was a lot of uh, theological nerds, um, theology mm-hmm. nerds. And. 
a, a discussion on uh, the the miraculous spiritual gifts came up, and they were yeah. using all of the five dollar cessationist continualist words out there. And uh, I had a, a spoiler a, a, warning: there will be big words in this podcast. Yes, uh, hopefully not too many. Um, and, and I turned to one of the uh, the elders, and I'm like, "What are we talking about? I have uh, no idea what's going on here." Uh-huh. And then um, it was kind of at that point that I realized that maybe like if I, if I we're going to be here for for a few years, I kind of need to catch up. So I uh, started reading then and then got a little bit over my head with uh, certain things. I, I think I jumped into like Calvin first and that was nice, very hard uh, to do. Yeah. And so I, I scaled back a little bit. And, and from there, um, just started reading more and more. And, and as a, a historian, uh, you know, I read a lot of dead people anyway. So that part was the natural uh, progression. And, okay. and I think it's it's interesting to see who came before us mm-hmm. and some of the things that they've struggled with and also some of the ideas that they had. Um, yeah. I think when we get into some of these uh, people, you know, I think uh, some of them are, are way smarter than maybe, uh, you know, we typically give credit to uh, ancient peoples. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's always a fascinating thing. Um, and, and I chose uh, a dead people because, uh, you know, they're they're. Uh, catalog of, of writing is they can't done. Get mad at us. Can't get mad at us. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, as you know, there are people who are good and solid now, but they kind of go off the deep end in later life. And here oh, we're I like, know. here's their catalog and we know what's good in their catalog. And we know it's bad in their catalog. So, um, <laughs> so as, as an office space, these are theologians for whom we celebrate their entire catalog. Yes. And it's going to be very fun. I, I have some follow-up questions there. Mm-hmm. But I think I'll save them and embed them okay. as we count down. So are, are you comfortable going five to one? So I was thinking what's it, the... if you're okay with this, I can do a five to one. I, I have that prepped, but uh, I was going to do chronological because I, like I, I yeah. picked. Uh, so my medieval history is uh, kind of weak, but I try to pick uh, theologians from different uh, time periods. So we I can like see it. different ones who are sort of, you know, what's happening in the world at that time. You yes. see kind of what discussions they're having yeah. about the world and, and life and the universe and everything. Quite elegant. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So so we're going to start oldest first? So, yeah, so we'll start oldest first. I figure, you know, kind of go okay. chronologically. Nice. Um, so number five, there is very little left of this body that belonged to... Uh, so our first one is a good old St. Augustine. Woo! Uh, or Augustine. I've seen well, both What's pronounced. your preference? There. I go Augustine. Okay. I go Augustine. I, I don't go Augustine. I, I only hear Augustine every once in a while, and it's usually by uh, somebody with their you know tie a little bit too tight and you know, speaking with a, a, a you know very British accent or something like that. So I go yeah. Augustine. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I say Augustine. <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato. Uh, so um, tell me more. So I, I've read one of his books cover to cover and I've read selections from one of his other books. So okay. I've read the confessions uh, cover to cover confessiones. Yes. Confessiones. And then um, I've read uh, selections from his book on the Trinity. Um, De which, Trinitate. Yes. I did not read the Latin, unfortunately. <laughs> I, could, um, I could do this all day. Keep going. We're going to get the Latin for all the books here, guys. Uh, I'm not sure about the modern ones. If we'll get the Latin <laughs> for that. Um, but I, I think, Confessions are, are great because it's autobiographical, but it's mm-hmm. also confessional. Yeah. Um, every chapter sort of starts with this uh, mm-hmm. long confession of past sins. And it's really 
him pouring out his heart and sort of the regrets that he had and yeah. of the sin in his life and about his mm-hmm. mother, uh, you know, always praying for him and hoping that he can uh, convert to Christianity. His uh, even some of his prodigal son yeah. uh, philandering that he did. And um, I think the Manichaeans, which was the uh, Gnostic uh, group that he was they're a yeah. fascinating group, yeah. all their own. Uh, we could get into their, you know, pooping uh, vegetables and lights and all that stuff <laughs> another time. But yeah, they were fun at parties. I think uh, they're great. But then the, the also what was interesting for me was the second half of the book when he sort of gets to the present day. Right. Turns into this like theological treatise on all of these different topics. Yeah. And for me, that kind of gets into that like whole even though, you know, he's writing in the, the fourth and fifth century, like these aren't just like, you know, I think a, a stereotype is like they're just, you know, shepherds trying to figure things out. It's like, no, this guy's like deep and, and he's thinking about things in a very deep way. And there's two parts that always sort of got me as mm-hmm. I, I thought back at the uh, of his books. And one is he's he's trying to understand the eternity of God and how how is God timeless right. when we are time bound creatures. And when he talks about time, he says that for God, there's three presents. There's a past present, a present present and a future present. So he's experiencing all of these at the same time, which is such a weird concept for us to yeah. grapple with and, and, and struggle with. And, and he goes very on, you know, a long time with it. Um, and the other thing that, that was interesting is um, he's, he's talking about eternity and he mentions when God says, let there be light, mm-hmm. that there's no period at the end of that sentence. Because if there was a period at the end of that sentence, that would infer time. And what I think he was getting at that is like that creation and, and one of our other um, theologians talks about this in d- more in depth mm-hmm. that that. Uh, God's act of creation and his act of providence happen simultaneously. So when God says that there be light, there's no period because he's then sustaining light mm-hmm. at that point. But even just like getting my mind, getting that wrapped around my mind, it's like, oh yeah, if God said that there be light, period, that means God's speaking in time, but God's timeless. So right. how does he, and it just gets very confusing just trying yeah. to think about that. And the, the fact that like, this man, you know, writing 1500 years ago, these are the, these are the questions that are keeping him up at night um, yeah. is like, how does time work? Right. You know, when, when, I, you know, I think for me, like that sounds, that sounds like a modern problem, like in a modern, you know, people are, are thinking about these, but yeah. like, this is a, a question that the church has struggled with um, for a long time, just, just sort of fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, going back to the confessional part of it, how many autobiographies do we read where the person is just laying out their sins to bear and yeah. like confessing them, uh, you know, to God and to us at the same, you know, it's more of a, a book to God than to us in certain ways. Yeah. Um, and how many autobiographies are doing that? How many biographies are, doing yeah. that? you know, and his book on the Trinity, uh, you know, I think Arianism is still around in, in little mm-hmm. small parks there. So he's really fighting against that. And, and Augustine is a man who had a lot of, uh, you know, ecclesiastical controversies that are occurring in his time yep. that he's writing about. Yep. So it's always fascinating to see a man who, you know, is having to and some of our others that we'll go through here are also dealing with ecclesiastical controversies. But that sort of makes you really have to create an apologetic for your position and you're not just you know uh reiterating what 
someone else has said before. You're, you know, you're not just summarizing other theologians. You have to defend yourself and you yep. have to defend your position. And that's sort of what we see with Augustine. So right. I, I think that's very uh, interesting to, to, to see with him. And yeah. I think he's also, I feel like, one of the more accessible early church fathers. I think, that's you true. know, um, when you're reading against heresies, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of have to know Gnosticism and sort of be like aware of this, you know, second century debate that's going on. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I think Joe Schmo can pick up Augustine and uh, sort of figure out what's going on and sort of what is his, uh, you know, what's his mentality there. Yeah. Love it. So mm. much to unpack. Yes. I'm trying to think which direction to go. So, some 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 more nerdy stuff and mm-hmm. then less less nerdy. Okay. So the yeah philosophy. So Augustine is still read in secular philosophy circles oh, yeah. for philosophy of time. That's mm-hmm. what, it's one of the things. So it's not only Christianity, but then also Stoics, Platonists mm-hmm. of the day, and kind of those various streams had had different views of how the divine relates to time. Mm-hmm. And Augustine's work. Aquinas did a lot in that direction mm-hmm. too. Uh, just some really, some really fascinating stuff, and people don't know as might not know as well that Augustine was North African. So, yeah. so, so you're reading a, an, an African author mm-hmm. when who's who, who's one of the one of the heavyweights of 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 church history. I totally agree that he's he's a pretty accessible mm-hmm. writer. I took a class in Augustine in college. We had one. Dartmouth had one person in the religion department who was a really old Roman Catholic guy that taught all of the Christendom <laughs> yeah. classes, and, and, and they're really, really good. The, he also has a smaller book called The Enchiridion, The Enchiridion on Faith, Hope, and Love, which is mm-hmm. kind of a short handbook, not quite a systematic theology, but an overview of the major movements of mm-hmm. Christian faith and belief, which is also a really, a really fun starting point. I have two tidbits about Augustine as well, but wanted to throw this question back at you. So somebody that hasn't read a lot of theologians, church history, when it's just kind of new for them, you've mm-hmm. mentioned the accessibility. What else would you tell this person? Why should I, who's not a veteran of mm-hmm. a lot of theological reading, read Augustine? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, so I like early church history, yeah. and I think, um, you know, if we look at the, you know the, the history of the the Bible and, and the canonization of it and everything, you know it, it's a process. And, and by the time Augustine is writing, this is sort of post Nicene, um, and so you know you have the canon is is figured out. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the theological controversies are sort of figured out, and, and you know, and, and so we are starting to see more. Not saying he was a systematic theologian, but we're starting to see like, okay, more, not everyone's writing because like, oh, you know, uh, this theologian only had John and uh, Ephesians, so he can only write so many things. Like, you know, Augustine had the, you know, entire Bible at this point. So we're starting to see a more robust theology coming out. You Mm -hmm. know, if you look at some of the early church fathers who are writing, you know, before Nicene, some of their stuff's kind of wild. Like Jesus was like 66 years old when he died, yeah. you know, and because, and we can't really fault them for that because they yeah. didn't have, you know, no one, they didn't have a full Bible at the time. Right. So they, they had to work with the sources yeah. they had. Augustine had a good uh, structure of sources. Yeah. Um, Doctrine of God had been 
fairly well sorted out. Yes, by that point. yeah, yeah. Doctrine, so ecumenical councils and all of that. Yeah, so you you don't have as much like you know we're kind of throwing things into the wind and seeing you know what's going on and yeah. And, um, you know, I think Gnosticism had sort of died down, you know, it still had flares like Augustine was, a right. was a, a Gnostic at a certain point, but, um, you're, you're sort of are starting to get into a, uh, not a mainstream Christianity, but it, it, things are starting to level out, yeah. so to speak. Um, that's good. And, and I think too, Augustine was a very well-read man himself. He, uh, was a tutor and a teacher, which in the ancient world, being a tutor and teacher, you had to be very well read. And yep. so he is sort of in touch with what's going on in the world as well. So he's not sort of a, a monk who doesn't know anything that's going on. It's just like in a cubbyhole writing. Yeah. He's experienced the world right. and experienced what's happened. Um, and so you're getting sort of that with him too. Right. Yeah. A couple of tidbits about Augustine before we move on. Have, have you read any Charles Taylor? His big book was A Secular Age. He's a current, he's old now, but living Roman Catholic theologian, I've, studies secularism and that sort of thing. I've heard about him. I've probably read something somewhere, but yeah. n- not, not like a monograph or anything. Gotcha. So Charles Taylor uh, took another class in college in the 90s. So A Secular Age, I think he came out in 2008. That's sort mm-hmm. of his magnum opus, but one of his building block books was one called Sources of the Self, a study of the Western journey towards interiority and mm-hmm. subjectivism from ancient times into modern times. Mm-hmm. Really great book. Early on in pandemic, I took a couple of reading days because I was tired of thinking about pandemic right. and got through about the first half again of Sources of the Self. He'll say in there that Augustine and specifically the Confessions are a key point in the history of Western civilization where nobody had written a memoir like that before. And, oh. and so this, this whole idea of thinking about my life, considering my thoughts and feelings and activities at different times, putting them down in book form, really had never been done in that way. And so Augustine is a crucial step of how we think about ourselves in terms of our experiences, mm-hmm. emotions, inner thought life. So with people 200 years before that, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> was a question that wasn't asked, asked very often. Right. And, and self-consideration was just different. Mm-hmm. So you have, for example, in the Old Testament, you don't have a lot of the interior monologue or thought bubbles that you have in the comic books because right. you just have what David did. And yeah. For Samuel, for second Samuel, you have less about what David thought and mm-hmm. felt about things, or very rarely. So Augustine was key in in that development and process. So he's interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, if doctrine of God was not contested in the way that it had been in previous centuries, doctrine of salvation was. So his anti-Pelagian writings are oh yeah are brilliant mm-hmm. and and relevant. Last tidbit from Augustine for me. And this, this, this goes back to the Latin nerd stuff. When I was in high school, I had a really great Latin teacher, <laughs> which I know is the most you know, precious thing to say, say. But somewhere between 10th grade and 11th grade, I took a trip with a couple other Latin students with my Latin teacher to Rome. And it was great. What we did was Mr. Drago. I've talked about him in sermons yeah, before. Yeah, and, yeah. And Vincent Drago. He... He would take, it was a week and a half in Roman surroundings. He would take us to different monuments and architectural sites, and he put together this 
notebook of what different Latin authors had said about the sites that we were in. Huh. So visit the Colosseum, and we just sit under an olive tree mm-hmm. and translate different passages from ancient authors about the Colosseum. One of the places that we went, and I, I think I, I think I'm getting the place right, was Ostia Antica, hmm. which is where Augustine lived for a period of time including when he converted to Christianity. He had this vision of a little girl saying tole lege, which is take and read, take Mm -hmm. and start reading the Bible. And we sat in the garden where Augustine recounts the story of his conversion in Ostia Antica, the same garden. That's awesome. And then read through the passages where he was in this (laughs) same stinking garden reading through... How, how God met him there. It was, it was pretty amazing. Also, last, last, last thing about Augustine. Uh, we translated on that same trip in that same garden. Augustine loved his mom. Oh, and she's on like every other page of the Confessions. Right. Monica, I think, was her <laughs> yeah, name. Monica. So the, we translated through the passages of Augustine talking about the death of his mother. And it was... Yeah, heart wrenching. Yeah, yeah. In confessions, that was definitely like a heart wrenching moment. You could yep. you could see like he was still processing it, especially like her, you know, dying wish of him to convert. Uh, right, was definitely like a a, a a a sour point for him. Yeah. you know. Uh, but you know, he was hey, a wild child. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Augustine mm-hmm. or Augustine, Augustine, depending on depending on <laughs> your tomato or tomato. That's awesome, Scott. It yep. only gets. More interesting from here. Number four. So number four. So as I said, medieval history is is not my my forte. Um, yeah. I've done some secondary reading in it, but not much sure. primary. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna jump pretty far into <laughs> the uh, to the Reformation. Five Middle Ages. The, five, five Middle the ages. Dark Ages. <laughs> we're skipping the Dark Ages. Nothing. <laughs> nothing interesting happened. Nothing of no happened. Forget the schism of uh, 1054. None of that. Sorry, um, Edsel. Poor Deus <laughs> Homo. Yeah. We're like, who cares? Yeah. Okay. You guys are dead. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. um, so we're, we're jumping into the Reformation with uh, <laughs> with the Frenchman, Master uh, Jean Calvin. Hey Jean Calvin. So uh, Jean Calvin yeah. uh, in the house. Um, obviously, his most famous book, The Institutes of Christian Religion. Yep. Just recently finished that a couple of months ago. Um, as I, I mentioned, didn't hear that, that you finished. That. Yes, yeah, so awesome. I just finished it. Um, so as I said, you know, when I started in this journey, I read Calvin for the first time and just kind of flew over my head. Uh, Calvin is definitely one where uh, reading other books before him definitely helped out because, yeah. um, and, and I've read this other, uh, elsewhere about Calvin where, um, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because you did your master's thesis on Calvin. Um, in part. In part. Yeah. But uh, where, you know, I think uh, from, from what I understand, a lot of theologians, uh, you know, Calvin kind of sort of wrote the book that a lot of theologians are, are sort of copying um, nowadays. So mm-hmm. reading Calvin, it, not that I've said like, oh, I understand all this completely because Calvin was a brilliant man. But it right. was like, oh, like this person has said the same argument. And like so reading Calvin after reading others was like, OK, like I see where his arguments are now because I've read other people yeah. that made the same arguments. And I think, you know, was he one of the first ones that did like uh, Jesus as his three offices of priest? Prophet, priest uh, and king. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and so there's, I think, a lot that we. Uh, sort of take for granted uh, now that Calvin sort of um, wrote again, wrote about. And I think it's sort of interesting because he is also writing in the middle of the Reformation. So he's dealing with uh, some of these Reformation issues that are going on. Yeah. Um, 
I almost had after Calvin, I almost put Turretin in. Um, ah. Who's You're interesting because he, feeling he's... Feeling electric. Yeah, he... he Turretin, uh, so Turretin is another Genevan. Uh, he talks frequently about R. Calvin. Um, uh-huh. And he's interesting because he's writing after... I mean, the Counter-Reformation is still going on, but he's writing sort of after the Counter-Reformation. So he's, yeah. he's responding to a lot of things that Calvin actually isn't. And... Um, it's sort of interesting, you know, Calvinism doesn't really come up much in Calvin's, you know, writing. Yeah. He Obviously, he talks a lot about the sovereignty of God and, and all of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the first time I was reading it, I was expecting the five points to come up. And I was yeah. like, so, so yeah. when are you going to come up with this? So, and, so Calvin, I'm sure, would have been aghast to, oh, to, to find out that, that Calvinism like, <laughs> is, is a thing. He yeah. considered himself one theologian among many, both oh, yeah. contemporaneously, but then also in deep dialogue with church history. Yeah, like usually when he's getting into like the like, so how am I going to defend my response? He's like, I'm going to quote Augustine. I'm going to quote quote Bernard. Like I'm going to quote all these other theologians. Yeah, Yeah. Bernard. Yeah. So he's quoting other theologians as his defense for his position. Right. So, yeah, he would be very aghast about us calling it Calvinism. But I mean, the depth of knowledge and the love for God, like this was not a man who was, I think Calvinism sometimes gets a stereotype of the frozen chosen, which there are, there are uh, Calvinists who, sure. who rightly, I think, uh, make that stereotype true, but like very much a deep love for God and a deep knowledge of God's love for us. Yeah. You definitely see that in his writing and the, the depth of his discussion. I, I think there's one point where Calvin's talking about something and he's like, I don't really fully understand this, but I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. I was like, well, if you don't understand this, like, I'm just just, yes. why, why am I going to even read what you're writing? Is I'm right. never going to understand it. But yep. yeah, just just a, a brilliant man uh, uh, writing. And, and I've heard very good things about his uh, he's a little book on the Christian life. I've, I've heard good things about that book. That's sort of on my yeah. uh, it's to good. read this. It's been a while since I've read it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, his his institutes, if if you can. The, the book two is definitely easier than book one. I think book one, when he's getting into the, the theology of the scripture and the theology of how we understand God, that, that can get a little yeah. uh, dry. But once you get into book two on his doctrine of God, uh, you know, and the fact that it's an exposition on the Apostles' Creed is, yeah. is really kind of cool. Um, yeah. You know. Right. And, and commentaries, too. So as I oh. look at commentaries for whatever sermon or sermon series that, that I'm doing, I, I'm always struck by most comment, most commentaries reference other recent mm-hmm. commentators, but Calvin is one of the few that modern, to this day, contemporary commentaries will go back and reference what what, what Calvin said. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's one of the few exceptions where he's still in conversations about how to interpret the scriptures. And he was a classicist, right? Before, mm-hmm. before becoming a pastor and theologian. So mm-hmm. deeply knowledgeable of ancient languages. Oh yeah. And, he's quoting Latin in Rome right. or Latin in Greek. Uh, yeah. You know, so, so just a really careful, mm-hmm. not only writer, but reader. And so his, some of the, especially ancient church, if you go back and read their commentaries on passages of the Bible, it's pretty weird, but, yeah. but, but Calvin was just a great, reader of the scriptures as well yeah I, i've read not like 
commentaries cover to cover, but I've read like sections of his commentaries. They, they were actually free on the app store like a few years ago. Oh, like really? his, in, his entire commentary yep. was free on the app store of the, of the entire Bible. And like, I would prove like, if we were like in a Bible study, I'd be like, what did Calvin say about this? So I've, I've read, you know, random verses here and there before the app store took it down. But yeah, so brilliant Thanks, man. Jobs. Yeah, I know. That, that was actually Steve Jobs' dying wish. Yeah, <laughs> like, take Calvin. down those free. Yeah, I think Calvin commentaries. I think it was like they, Calvin and Matthew uh, Henry. Like they just randomly had their commentaries for whatever okay. reason on the App Store. That's and funny. Like, and download, and then yeah, just, the, the, they're gone. The, the only Calvin commentary I've read cover to cover, I did I think during my second year of college, mm-hmm. a one quarter internship at a Presbyterian church in New Orleans, and my main reading project was reading Calvin's commentary on Romans. So um, it, I'm sure it, that it, was it, a, a delight to it, it read. Was, it, was, it was majestic. <laughs> it was very good. But but also other people on staff thought it was weird. <laughs> so I, I had these blocks of reading time yeah. and people would kind of peer in the temporary office I was given just to like watch me <laughs> reading Calvin. It's like, here we have... In the wild, a reader of Calvin. <laughs> and it was, and I was like, that's what I'm doing. can read him too. So this is a challenging question, mm-hmm. or maybe it's not. For, uh, where, do you, where, where do novices start with Calvin? So, so I guess the smaller, what's the title of that Christian life? It's a little book on the Christian life. I've, I've heard that's yeah, a pretty Calvin's good, uh, yeah, right. Calvin's little book on, and I think it's actually called a little book yep. on the Christian life. Yep. I'm yeah. not just saying it's a little book. It's actually like <laughs> right. uh, called a little mm-hmm. book. I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. If you wanted to deep dive into the institutes, like, you know, you, you buy it. I do think book two, uh, the, you know, because um, it's divided into four books. Uh-huh. And I do think book two, when it gets into the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man, is much easier to go into than when he's talking about general and special revelation and the fact that, like, everyone knows that God exists, but yeah. sin has, uh, you know, blinded them from that. Like, that gets into, it gets very esoteric and you kind of have to, like, you know, yeah. get it. Um what I think is also helpful, too, is at least the translation I had. And I think other translations have this, too, because it, it, he wrote it in the beginning of each chapter. He uh, breaks down what each paragraph is going to be about. He gives like a sentence or two yeah. uh, summary. And then at the end of book four, uh, it, uh, there is a summary of each book and a summary of each chapter those help out too. If I'm like a reading one, I'm like, just like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah. And like, I go back and say like, okay, this chap, this paragraph is about this. And he numbered that all the paragraphs are numbered as well. So that sort of helps you. And, and I think also taking your time, like yeah. reading a chapter, maybe two a day. Some of the chapters are short. Some of them go for a long time. There are yeah. a couple of chapters where I took one chapter and I, I took a couple days or like a week to go through one of the yeah. chapters because it was just harder. So I think right. like Augustine, you could do that like fairly like You could it's sort easier. of breathe. Yeah. You, you know, you could speed read through that. But Calvin, you, you need to take your time. You need to sit with it have a discussion partner or even jot down some notes yep. that you have where I think confessions you can sort of just read without notes, yeah. but Calvin, you sort of have to, Hey, what, what's going on with this man? Yep. Did, do you know who John Gerstner is? Does that name ring a mm-hmm. bell? Yeah. So he was a contemporary of late 20th century theologian mm-hmm. friends with like RC Sproul and kind yep. of ran mm-hmm. in that crowd. Gerstner, I think he died 
at some point in the 90s, maybe 2000s. But he, he would always, and he was like on the Christian conference speaker mm-hmm. circuit. My, I don't know if I've said on a podcast before, my, my father and mother-in-law are frequenters of the Christian conference cruise. Oh, circuit. I think you might have mentioned so, that. Yeah, that that that's a dream dream job. Just talk, oh, yeah, talk yeah. for an hour at a cruise ship. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know the name of like Christian cruise lines. Uh, that, that'll Car- be the next Car- podcast. Yeah, the, the top five Christian uh, cruises. That would, be, that, that would be an awesome like more frivolous category. Like top five made up names for Christian cruise lines. Yes. <laughs> so so Gerstner would. Uh, when he would speak at conferences, sometimes speaking to thousands of people, he said, I'll make a deal with you. If anybody wants to read the complete works of Jonathan Edwards and Banner of Truth, I don't know if it's still in print, had a two volume, tons of pages, tiny, tiny, tiny mm-hmm. print. And he'd say, I will buy it for you. So it will be free for you if you will promise. And he said, I'm not going to check on it. It's between you and God. I'm not your accountability partner. If you promise to read it in a year. I, I will buy the Banner of Truth edition of the works of Edwards. Yeah, I, so. I've heard it's like 0.2 font. It like is it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, if if you're not blind before you start reading it, you'll you'll be blind yeah. afterwards. So, Scott, before the podcast, you were telling me that you're making the same deal with our listeners about the institutes. <laughs> if you promise to read them, despite what Scott said about taking one's time, Turtle Doves, write in five golden things pod at gmail.com if you want your free copy of the Institutes from Scott. If you promise to read it in a year, some let restrictions us know. apply. <laughs> uh, there's an asterisk about that above that. Uh, some, some restrictions do apply, but. Uh, as, as Becky gets nervous. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's great. John Calvin, anything else for him before we go to number three? No, that, that's it. Love it. So, number three, a couple, couple years after, another mm-hmm. John, uh, uh, which, which yes. uh, in a Puritan. Um, so, I do believe that by law puritans had to be named john yep uh so but this john an easier read uh, john but john bunyan oh I, okay I, I i spoke too soon yes yeah, so ahead. john bunyan and uh the pilgrim's progress parts one and two um so we actually read this as a book club um in our church in korea we read yeah. parts one and two of the Pilgrim's Progress, which mm-hmm. uh, for our dear turtle doves is the second best-selling book in the world besides the Bible. It is. Uh, so Pilgrim's Progress, it discusses basically the life of a Christian in a way that's easy uh, to understand, uh, basically from conversion to spoiler alert, death. Yep. And uh, what is the, the life of a, a Christian? And, and, a very, again, this is probably going to be the easiest book on the list to read. I like it. Um, and the reason why I say that is John Bunyan uh, does not deal with metaphors or any sort of like, uh, you know, I got to think deeply about this or I'm, I'm going to make these interesting connections that you have to think about. Yeah. Let me read you some of his characters uh, names. Oh, I, I like it. Uh, English accent or no English accent. I cannot do an English accent. Okay. Uh, unfortunately. So some of his characters names, Christian, <laughs> obstinate, hopeful, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, <laughs> and some of the, <laughs> yes. and some of his uh, cities, you have the city of destruction Vanity Fair, which is where we get right. Vanity yep. Fair yep. from. And so he does not like, 
he he doesn't hold any out like you read like in in what you happens know, in city of Destru- in destruction yeah I, I wonder what happens you know you know uh the christian who's the main character he comes to a guy named faithful and okay what what's his character traits going to be about like okay he's yep. a christian who's faithful uh you know he comes up to a character who's like mr sinner evil man like yeah. every character is either snithy whiplash or like the goody yep. good two like two shoes and there's like no like it's it's all black and white there's no shades of gray in this book um, which i think is great like yeah when i i tell my boys and and my girls that that I was, I'm old enough that when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, we gave people nicknames based on physical attributes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. so, so John Owen speaks my language. Yeah. yeah. Keep so going. John, John Bunyan. You said oh, Owen. Oh, <laughs> mm, okay. Sorry <laughs> so, about that. It's all good. I didn't want to confuse the, the yeah. You're right. So, so yeah, yeah. I think, it, which, which is sort of great. Like if you're a novice Christian, like, you don't need anti-heroes. You don't need people who are riding on both sides of the law. You know, it's, yep. it's great to just see, okay, these are good guys. These are bad guys. Yeah. And I think it also shows that the Christian life is not an easy one. Like Christian, you know, you're reading this book as an outside person. You're like, Christian, you just met this dude called like Mr. Evil. And why are you following him? Like, and, yeah. he's, and he's going to the pit of despair. Yeah. Like, why are you co- like following him, dude? But like, how many times are we following our sinful nature into sin True. and into despair? Like, we're doing this. It's it's very realistic, yeah. and it's not a like sin is dumb. Yeah, you know, and we we realize sin is dumb, and I think we like talked about that. Like, why is Christian being an idiot? But how many times are we idiots and falling into the same sin that we totally. you know yeah, fall into? Which I think it's really great, and I think it shows that the Christian walk isn't necessarily an easy one every mm-hmm. day, but. You know, in the end, again, Christian, spoiler alert, he, he crosses over the river of life, dies, but he gets in the bee and the presence of God and how great it is. Yeah. And it does start off kind of with Augustine where he reads this book and again, doesn't doesn't hide anything. He's carrying a heavy burden and the burden literally falls off of him after he reads this book and then runs down a narrow path to a door mm-hmm. and the door opens for him like to salvation. It's, it's not a, not, it's a very black and white, but yep. which I think is, is great. And the, part two is uh, his wife who in the first book is like, no, this is bad. And then his wife and children uh, become Christians. Then they go on their journey ah. uh, is part two. Have, have you read part two? So I, this is my Yogi Berra. It's yeah. too crowded. No one goes there anymore. Okay. I so as with like Tolkien, I have mm-hmm. not. I've never read any, okay. any of Pilgrim's yeah. Progress. So, so um, my, my elder. Everybody else has. That's, that's why we're listening to you. Yeah. So so the elder of our uh, of my previous church, his name's Will Cody. He, he's a great guy. He said this. I I was not able to confirm or to verify it, but I'll, I'll believe him. You know, for for sake. Yeah. He said what he read was that the part two was written by Bunyan. He he didn't have a uh, an intention to write it, but apparently other people were writing fanfic basically <laughs> of like what's going on. <laughs> Original like, fanfic. And, and and Bunyan's like no, like I'm gonna write. <laughs> Again, I don't know whether that's actually true or not, uh, but you know he, he's he's an upstanding g- guy, um, 
So I'm going to take his word on that that's the reason why part two is written. Because it was years after that part two. It wasn't like, okay, part one's done. I'm going to go and write part two now. But that, That's really funny. Um, but yeah, read Pilgrim's Progress. There's multiple versions of it. I've been thinking about that. because So I do a book club with some of the guys yeah. um, at church where the, the uh, Liberty Literary uh, Lads, L3 is what we've named ourselves this year, which... I don't know why. Um, and, and I've thought about that for next year is maybe do okay. Pilgrim's Progress as nice. a book. So like if, if you're a man and you want to do Pilgrim's Progress, you know, we're, we'd be happy to have you join us. Uh, but we also do we, we do book by committee. So, you know, if someone yeah. else votes for a different book, right. like obviously I, I try not to be a dictator too much in the, in the book club. Or ladies. Also yeah, ladies. Free. Yeah, I, I do Good. one for the men. The yeah. ladies are welcome to do one themselves. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, I so. like it. So, yeah, that's awesome. And wasn't – am I remembering that that Bunyan was either a blacksmith and or not super highly educated? The, that's what I've heard is he's sort of like a, a layman in terms right. of, uh, of the uh, other Puritan yeah, writers. Right. You yeah, know, where the Owens and the Edwards have, like, all these letters after their names, yep. uh, you know, and they're the ones quoting the Greek in the the – Hebrew and the Latin, whereas Bunyan's sort of the everyman, which... Man of people. I think sort of... The Bruce Springsteen. He's the Bruce Springsteen uh, of the Puritans. Uh, I'm sure he's, like, wearing that moniker proud right now. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, like... They, they both are, towards th- the other. That makes him more accessible to yeah. newer Christians. And I would even say more veteran Christian, more mature Christians should read him as yeah. well. But I think that makes him more accessible because he is sort of that everyman. I like um, it. You know? So okay. He's good. John Bunyan, mm-hmm. number three. Wow, so we're getting into rarefied air right here, Scott. So <clears throat> diving into the end of the uh, 19th, beginning of 20th century. Uh, uh-huh. If it ain't Dutch, it ain't much. Mr. Uh, Bovink himself. Love uh, it. Herman Bovink. Hermie. So good, good old Hermie. Uh, so I, I have not read, nor do I own his uh, magnum opus, Reform Dogmatics. It's a little bit out of my price range. One, it's one of those one of those days. Uh, yep. There's many memes on the internet of, uh, you know, honey, why is uh, wh- why why is our house being re- repossessed? And then uh, the man uh, digging a, a hole to bury his bobbing so his wife doesn't see it. Uh, <laughs> sort of memes, or you know, because it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, or where would our down payment for our house go? And it's like, honey, look what I just bought, and it's re- reform dogmatics. So <laughs> um, books. yeah. So it's one of those one of these days, I'd love to own it, but. I have read his uh, one volume version, which is his Wonderful Works of God. And it's basically him synthesizing the book. And if you read the introduction to it, in his introduction, he says that this book is for the high school student. This is for the new Christian who's going through his catechism Mm -hmm. classes. Or this is the, the guy who's been working in a factory for 15 years and he'll never get onto higher ed. And that's who he's yeah. sort of writing it to. Right. And so it's it's very accessible. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, a renaissance of Bovink. Um, I think there's a couple of his books that recently got translated and published. Yeah. Um, I think his Reform Ethics Volume 2 just came out. So Bovink mm. is... is it, there's a lot of books of Bovink that are coming out right now. And I think... Uh, sort of like um, Augustine and like Calvin, a, a man who had his finger uh, on a lot of contemporary issues, not only yeah. in uh, the Netherlands where he's from, uh, but also in the U.S. He, he did a couple of tours in the U.S. speaking yeah. tours um, and actually uh, spoke and wrote about um, 
issues of racism in the United States. Mm -hmm. If you go on to the uh, Liberty uh, Racism uh, resource page, uh, which I I helped um, get some of the sources for, I do have a couple of um, Bovink's latest biographer has two articles about Bovink and racism Mm -hmm. and basically talking about those issues and uh, how he read um, W.E.B. D.B. Du Bois and how... um, he was telling Christians that they should read him. Um, and, and sort of what Bovink's uh, biographer said is that Bovink's doctrine of the Imago Dei was so strong um, that racism, it boggled his mind because uh, of the Imago Dei and how important that doctrine was to uh, him. And given right. that he wrote so much on systematic theology, yes, that's, yeah. that's going to yeah. be a, a thing, you know, for him. Um, and, and so, you know, just the fact that he's writing on all of these different issues. I think his biographer was saying that um, he had friends who were sort of, uh, he was more in that fundamentalist camp of the fundamentalist modernist split. And one of his good friends uh, was either a modernist or had gone completely secular, but they were writing about issues back and forth and having written debates um, all throughout their lives and still stayed good friends. So, so he was definitely one who, um, you know, obviously probably had a, dig, dug his heels in certain issues and, and had, uh, you know, his polemic moments, but was willing to listen to the other side and yeah. read the other side um, and not just read what his side was saying about the other side, which I think is a lost art in certain ways yeah. uh, today. And so I very much appreciate that about Bob Inc. Um, yeah. And also, like many reformers, had just great beard. Um, John, <laughs> John Calvin was another great bearded man. Um, you know, so so I, I definitely give it up. Uh, read Bovink's Wonderful Works of God. Uh, that would be my sort of starting point because yeah. it is such a he doesn't throw around theological language um, right. at you at all. Um, and, and his translators do beautiful uh, work in just just writing. He's a very very gifted writer. Love um, it. So, so yeah, I definitely definitely recommend what, that. It was wonderful works of God. Has that been published recent recently in English? Yes. Yeah, so that came out like right before the pandemic. That was a pandemic buy for me. Oh, nice. Um, uh, so it was published by Westminster Theological Press, and like right before the pandemic, uh, it, they had a half off sale, and so I was like, I bought it not knowing the pandemic would happen, and then I bought it, <laughs> and the pandemic the happened. Sale. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The pandemic they happened. It was it. like, well, now I got all the time in the world. So, right. so that's when I kind of, and, and it's it's fairly easy to breeze Coupon through. Code, Wuhan. Yeah. <laughs> we have time on our hands right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it's a great read, and I I think you know uh, two two of the quotes that really stuck out to me was um, he's writing about uh, Jesus's three offices as, of prophet, priest, and king. Yeah. And when he's writing about Jesus's prophet, um, he, he's speaking about John, the you know prologue of John, John one one through eighteen. Mm-hmm. And what he said struck me. He goes, um, "What made Jesus different as a prophet is all of the prophets pointed to God, but Jesus is the only prophet who could point to himself," hmm. uh, which was just like a very Boom. beautiful quote. Um, yeah. And one of his other quotes, he's talking about, and we uh, we say this every Sunday, um, Second Chronicles thirteen uh, sixteen as our uh, or not Chronicles Corinthians uh, thirteen sixteen our, our benediction. I was say, I, 
do I quote Chronicles every week? That would be awesome if I did. Uh, that, that'll be our sermon series going through First Chronicles and all the baguettes, uh, since, <laughs> since you are the expert on... Mr. Uh, Genealogy. <laughs> Genealogy. The Genealogy doctor. But our, our 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 16, and he talks about the fellowship, yeah. of, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And he said it is through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we then uh, connect to the Father and the Son. That yep. is how we get relationship with the father through the son is through that fellowship of the spirit. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, if I were to ever preach on, on second Corinthians, I'd be quoting, uh, uh that, uh, yeah. beautiful quote from Bobbing. And I, I did not say it as wonderfully as he <laughs> did, but th- this is the sort of man and thinker you have. And, and it's a great read. Yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Turtle doves. Bobbing might be my single favorite theologian that I've ever read. He's getting up there for me. Yeah, he's he. If if I were to if this were a numbered list, he might be my number one. Yeah, yeah. So so in seminary, an old Banner of Truth edition of Doctrine of God was on our reading list for our Doctrine of God class. And then when the volumes of the Reformed Dogmatics came out in the mid two thousands, and by the late two thousands, I'd read through those, and they're they're just really great. Mm-hmm. I don't know of a current equivalent theologian who is so conversant both with the entirety of church history, but then also contemporary issues. Mm -hmm. It's sadly in my mind, one or the other. Well, you have theologians today that know the historical conversation really well, but but when they start to dabble in contemporary stuff, they're kind of out of their league Mm -hmm. or vice versa. When you have people that are conversant with, contemporary issues and thoughts but are light on the history of, of, mm. of church and you lose something there so for example Westminster Seminary where I went soon after the pandemic hit published a volume of collected writings of church and t- church reflections in times of pandemic and plague mm-hmm. which I haven't read but you have this multi-hundred page book of people that have thought about these things before. Right, because and, they lived through it. <laughs> right, and, and so, but, but then you have, like, and all contemporary questions of health and public safety versus gathered worship, mm-hmm. and the theolo- sacramental theology when you're not able to, like, all of the hot-button mm-hmm. issues in a lot of Christian camps. Right. It's like, ah, there, there's, there's a whole church history for that. There, there's nothing new under the sun. Right, yeah. absolutely. So with, with Bavink. You have both. So, mm-hmm. so he's engaging with, and think late 1800s, early 1900s, Darwin. Mm-hmm. And Freud. Ar- Freud, ar- yeah. archaeology, psychology, mm-hmm. human anthropology, studying st- study of different cultures around the world. Things that in various ways continue to be things that Christians should talk about and wrestle with today. But he, he, was, he was the model of ironic engagement both within and without Christendom, and it's it's just beautiful. Yeah. If if, if there's a Bavig 2.0 out there, so let's, I, let's try to. I've meet heard this so Joel Beek has been writing a systematic theology. Okay. Um, I've heard great things about that systematic. Okay. Um, Book four just went to the publishers, and volume four is 1,500 pages, which is uh, Spirit, um, Ecclesiology, and Last Things. So right. I've, I've heard very good things about it. I have never read. Each, each volume is like 1,000 pages. Okay. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Joel Beakey. Uh, have, 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 I've have never read, read okay. anything by him, so I, I have no opinion, good or bad, on gotcha. him. I just I know some of the, the – like I'm in a, a – 
uh, uh, Christian book like uh, Facebook page, and a lot of people like Beak. Okay. I have no opinion one gotcha. way or another of okay. them. I've just heard good things about it. So. Okay. I don't know, but I don't it's know. Still a good recommendation. So, so yeah. yeah, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yep. Anything else, Bobink wise? No, uh, I think we've gushed over Bobink. Okay. <laughs> so my uh, my number five, uh, which or one or one number one, uh, which so this one's modern contemporary. Can, wait, wait, can can I guess? Sure. It's dead. Dead. Yes. Sproul. Um. He was one of the contenders. Okay. He was one of the contenders for for, for this one. The, my number one. Wait, 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 wait. I, I had a couple of different contenders. Okay. An American? I believe he's American. Huh. Oh, Packer. He was one of the other contenders. Ah! <laughs> Who am I blanking out on? Dallas Willard? No. Carl Henry? Nope. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale? Nope. Oprah? <laughs> she's, she's not dead as far as I know. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I give up. Who is it? Jerry Bridges. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Oh. Jerry Bridges. Oh. Very so nice Jerry Bridges, he, he died, I think, I like in it. 2016. Um, he is one, I think, in our, in our list or in my list, I think he's probably the most accessible yeah, uh, of I them. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, you know, contemporary writing, he's writing to Christians today. He's writing to, to people who, who are around. Um, and he's definitely writing for the layperson. He's writing books that are meant to be yep. read in... Yeah. Bible study, well, not Bible studies, but in book clubs and small groups, um, the average Christian person. And, mm-hmm. and I've read two of his books that I think are great for both new Christians and, uh, you know, both who are mature Christians and, and sort of need a, a renewed love yeah. of his. So two books I've read of his that I'd highly recommend. One is The Pursuit of Holiness, which I think is one of his more famous books, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which basically uh, is his book. And he goes through... Uh, the fruits of the spirit and, yeah. um, you know, how we cultivate those fruits of the spirit and, and very pastoral. I think he's very good at, at reminding you that you're a sinner and you're going to fail at these. But also there's yeah. hope in Christ and in the spirit right. to cultivate these uh, things that we can only do it through the spirit. Like it's one of those like as I'm reading them, there's conviction, but there's also good hope in there. Mm-hmm. Um and the other book that I read of his that uh, whenever I mention this title, uh, sometimes people give me weird looks because it's a title that's meant to be uh, a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, it's meant to be controversial as a title. Um, and it's a Respectable Sins. Oh, yeah. Uh, and people, right, right, when they right, hear right. the title, they're like, why would any ta- one talk about sins that yeah. are respectable? No, Ra- sins should be Ra- respectable. Title. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can one. do those. Uh, so, and it's called Respectable Sins because he, he lists, um, it's like 17 chapters. He lists like 12 or 13 sins that the church has now just sort of said, hey, these sins are okay. Like, we're okay doing these sins. And mm-hmm. there are things like pride, anger, gossip, and, and really sort of hits home as like, hey, church and, and not these aren't like flagrant sins that are just easy to spot yeah that, that are easy to spot but self-excuse yeah that yeah and, and he's not calling out like a specific church or a specific denomination but he's like hey church you know capital c church yeah 
why are these like why is it okay to gossip like mm -hmm. why is it okay and you know, we often like there's all the memes like it's not gossip if i say hey pray for this person uh you know yeah and, and he sort of hits on and you know some of them and again very gracious i think you know the, the very first couple of chapters are like you're a sinner and it's like dude you got to give me some hope and then he's like but there's hope in christ yeah and again same thing with the chapters where he's like hey where like how many times are you gossiping how many times are you prideful how many times are you uh, angry at your brother and sister in Christ. And it's like, wow, like, yeah, but I think these are church sins that the church, and again, I'm not naming one church or the other. There are people at Liberty. I deal with some of these sins, but there are ones that sort of the church, you know, like it's easy to point fingers at adultery or murder or these big ones. Yeah. But these are the little sins that we sort of give a pass to on our daily walk that you know, we shouldn't necessarily give a, give a pass to it. I think it's one of those books that I, I read it a, a number of years ago and, and I need to probably give it a reread. I think mm. as I was thinking about this, I looked at some of the sins again on there and it's like, don't, don't, uh, don't. I should give this book a reread. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, but I yeah. probably should reread this book. Huh. But yeah, Jerry Bridges. But Packer and Sprawl were, uh, were early drafts as okay. my, my uh, contemporary uh, ones on there. So well, I, I like that. I like the Bridges shout out. So he's probably a little less well known than mm -hmm. somebody like. And, and that's why I ultimately Sproul. chose him for my number five, because yeah. I think one. every or my number one. Sorry. Uh, Counting down. I'll, I'll get it eventually. <laughs> um, because everyone's going to think about Sprawl or Packer because these are such giants, especially yeah. in the reformed world. Whereas the Bridges is just, he's a man who's sitting, writing books, not, and he's, he's very famous, but you know, he was not this big name guy like yeah. some of the others. But, yeah. which, and again, that's why he went on the list because right. not too many people know him. Yeah. that That's a great pull right there. So I, became a Christian in college, in large part, it was both the church and the campus fellowship group. I was in the Navigator's Christian Fellowship, mm -hmm. and Jerry Bridges was... He write, he all of his books were through Navigator Press. Nav Press, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so Jerry Bridges was passed around a lot. I, I looked up when you were talking, I think I read in college Pursuit, The Pursuit of Holiness and the Discipline of Grace. Uh, so I haven't read respectable sins it's a good one a good, yeah uh pursuit of holiness we did as a men's book club a couple mm -hmm. of years ago i think that was uh, pre-pandemic okay or maybe pre-pandemic or during pandemic we did that one yeah. as our book club but it was one of our first books we did as, yeah. uh, as our book club yeah and scott i love how as we're landing the plane here we've we've gone to some bigger idea people but there's a nice mix of of highfalutin and practical here i and, i, I tried to landing. Jerry Bridge is very practical. Yeah, stuff. I, I try to keep it practical because I know some of our turtle doves are newer Christians or, you know, the don't want to pick up the institutes. Right. Um, yeah. Which if you never read the institutes, like I don't blame you. Like it's definitely a book that like I wouldn't necessarily recommend to a new Christian. You know, I'd recommend Bridges. I'd recommend Augustine. I definitely recommend Bobbing's Wonderful Works yeah. of God to uh, to a new Christian, right. but, um, and, and Pilgrim's Progress, obviously, to yeah. a Christian, but, you know, Calvin, not necessarily. So I try to keep a balance of, of people in, in the list. So magnanimous, Scott. It's, it's what I do. <laughs> the, <laughs> Speaking about that pride. <laughs> the, with what, my, my last word, then I'll ask you for, for your last word. I mentioned in some pod that 
it was the institutes that I was reading when I was standing in line waiting for tickets for Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when was that? Was that the spring of 99? And, and I, I'm not sure how many other people were reading the Institutes, but soon after that, when I would get bored, I would start reading the Institutes in the Jar Jar Binks voice. <laughs> <laughs> with, with the it was probably in poor taste and definitely not funny. Yeah. But yeah, so Calvin and Jar Jar. Yes. Opt for the former over the latter. Yeah, so so my my funny sort of uh, and I texted this to one of our fellow elders, Derek Dalrymple. Uh, so my my son Ezra was recently born, and I was reading the Institutes while he was born. Uh, not while he was born. <laughs> How you doing, honey? <laughs> um, uh, Some people have whiskey and cigars. <laughs> you know. No, so I was reading it like you know while he was asleep, like because he he would pass out on me, and I'd be like That's stuck what, sitting I, on. I the, did that with bobbing. Uh, uh, you know, one of the reform um, dog, dogmatics. And, and so, but when he was older, I was still reading it, and you know he's not old now, but. Um, I, I was reading about uh, some of the, you know, reformed soteriology and also some of uh, Calvin's uh, critiques of the Roman Catholic Church. And as I was reading those things, Ezra would laugh and smile and yeah. be like, yeah, my boy, <laughs> <laughs> like, raising him right. <laughs> so. A burgeoning theologian. Yes. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Your, yeah, yeah. your, your presence and leadership at church are appreciated and in so many different levels. If anyone ever wants to talk books with me, I, I'd be happy to talk books uh, with them. So come find me on a Sunday. Uh, I'll most likely have a baby on me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and coming down the pike, we'll just tease it here. Mm-hmm. Another podcast. We're not going to release them back to back, but down the road, mm-hmm. Turtle Doves, look for Jim and Scott talking through his top five video games yes on the complete opposite end of the spectrum (laughs) equally edifying yes i am sure if you're ever wondering what i'm doing on a friday night uh it's either reading or video games so those are my only two (laughs) (laughs) the one-two punch okay scott this has been great thank you so much ta-ta turtle doves wow that was definitely a top five episode of five golden things the liberty lists and remember kids Schadenfreude ain't just a river in Egypt. Wade in the water a little deeper anytime at libertycollingswood.org and find us at the usual socials. Make us a top five follow, and you'll always be our number one. Toodle pip! <laughs>